bringing us into the presence of the Lord through worship. Amen. Thank you guys again. Thank you again. So this morning, we're starting a new five-week series called The Leftovers. And it's interesting because I had some people go, you know, Pastor, The Leftovers, it's not Thanksgiving time. You know, what, what exactly are leftovers? Well, have you ever felt in your life like you've been left out? Have you ever felt like a misfit, maybe an outcast, maybe a leftover? You're kind of like the last one invited. You're the last one picked to be on a team. You know, the family has something going on and you get the message that same day. Oh, can you be here at two o'clock? And by the way, can you bring this? And you're kind of like, well, wait, why did I find out at the last minute? Am I a leftover? Am I a left out? And as we go through this five-week series, we're going to look at people in the Bible that maybe even in our own lives, we would have left them out. We would have considered them leftovers or misfits or outcasts, but Jesus calls them to be friends. And each one of us at some time in our life has been in these same shoes, but we still will catch ourselves looking down on the leftovers in our own life. So hopefully through this series, we'll be, our eyes will be open to see that Jesus loves everyone and so should we. And I wanted to start this series out because if we're going to look at the way Jesus treated people, we need to look to the Father. We need to look to God and we need to look to them attributes of God that allow us through Jesus Christ to not treat people as leftovers. So today we're going to be in chapter 15 of uh, the Gospel of Luke. Most of you probably know the story. It's the story of the prodigal son. And I think it is Jesus' most powerful parable on grace and what grace really is. You know, and, and it's unfortunate. I read a quote from Brad Pitt, and it appeared in Rolling Stone magazine quite a little time ago. And Brad Pitt, according to him, the story of the prodigal son was nothing but an authoritarian tale to keep people in line. That's what Brad Pitt thought of the story of the prodigal son. You know, and I can rest assured and tell you that I don't think that's what Jesus was saying and trying to keep people in line when he told this parable of the prodigal son. And unfortunately, I think Brad really missed the point. He missed the point because the prodigal son is not the story about a young man finding his way. It's about a young man who lost his way. But yet he received that grace. He received forgiveness from his father. And each of us do the same thing. And, you know, it's interesting. C.S. Lewis was once asked, what was Christianity's unique contribution among the world religions? And his answer was, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It is grace. We all receive it. And the truth is, there are a lot of people who are very uncomfortable when you start talking about grace. You know, that they feel that grace makes forgiveness too easy. Oh, it's too easy for someone to get forgiveness because of God's grace. And then they take the opposite end of it and say God's mercy is limited or that his love is conditional and his forgiveness is something you receive only when you can prove yourself. But that's not what grace is. To most people on both sides, inside and outside the church, unfortunately, leak Christianity to a set of rules. 
a set of rules we have to follow. But that's so far from the truth. Christianity isn't following a list of do's and don'ts. Because if we had to follow a list of do's and don'ts, I think we would all fail. I know I fail on a daily basis. So there is no way me or I could keep a list of do's and don'ts in order to be a Christian. I thank God for his grace each and every day. So as we look at this story of the prodigal son in chapter 15, um, I think we're going to really look at one of the greatest fathers in all of history. And I don't know who, who subtitled this, the prodigal son, because I think this story is about two sons and one amazing father. That's what this story is actually about. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to be verse 11 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the back of the pew in front of you, or you can pull it up on your computer, on your phone, tablet, whatever you want. If you watch it online, hey, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you being here with us. But as always, a reminder, don't let this replace you being connected to a local church. You know, it doesn't need to be this church. Just get connected to a local church someplace where you can work on your relationship with Jesus Christ and with others. We are built for relationship. So I encourage you, make sure you get connected to a local church. But we are glad you're here. And the verses will be across the bottom of the screen online also. Now, we got to understand kind of the backstory to this is Jesus was telling different stories showing the love of our Heavenly Father before he gets to this. He began by telling the story of the 99 sheep, one had lost its way. He then went on and talked about the lady who had the 10 silver coins and lost one and went absolutely crazy cleaning her house to find the, the lost coin. And each concludes with the statement of how much rejoicing there is in heaven with the angels when one soul or one is, who is lost is found. And then he goes on and he describes the value of what the lost is. So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 15, 11 through 24, and see what God's word has to say about this today. So then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there was, arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Heavenly Fathers, we take time digging into your word today, Lord. Lord, we ask that you open up our hearts that we may receive what it is you want us to receive. Lord, may my words be your words and may your name be glorified throughout this day. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So typically this isn't how it's happened. If anyone's gone through this, once you get your inheritance, that's all there is. There's no more. You get it, it's done. If you spend it all, it's gone. But somehow we see a little difference here. And it's interesting because as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought back to my, I can't really say my childhood, thought back to my teen years, and I thought of the movie Superman 2. Y'all remember the movie Superman 2? It came out in the 80s. Some of you weren't born in the 80s, so you've had to watch reruns on TNT or something. (laughs) But Superman 2... Um, It was interesting because I think it really shows the grace that we see today here in the prodigal son story. And if you remember, Superman and Lois Lane were madly in love with each other, and they decide they wanted to get married. But in order for Superman to marry Lois Lane, he had to give up all of his superpowers. He had to give up his superpowers and just become an ordinary everyday. He had to be Clark Kent. And he was warned that if he gave up his superpowers, he could never, ever get them back. If you give him up, you can't give him back. And his love for Lois was so great that he, I'm fine, I'm going to give up my superpowers, and he did. Well, shortly afterwards, he discovers that there's three villains from his hometown of his home, hometown, <laughs> his, his home planet of Krypton that have now made their way into the White House and they're trying to be the ruling government of the United States and they're causing all this chaos and The world at this point really needs Superman, but he gave up his powers. And it goes to a scene, and you see old Clark Kent, he's going through this snowstorm, going up to the Superman's former fortress of solitude. And as he walks in, it's all ruined. And as he walks through the ruins, he looks up and he says, Father, I have failed. And the scene actually switches back to Metropolis. And inside Metropolis, you got these three villains, and they're really causing chaos inside the town, and the music starts. What's that up in the air? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman, and Superman comes back. Somehow, someway, he regained his superpowers. Even though he was told he could never get them back, he regained his superpowers. And I don't think I'm spoiling it for anyone to know that Superman saved the day, you know, and he fought for justice in the American way. Um, I don't think I'm going to ruin that story for anyone from something that came from the 80s. But I think what happened here is the writers kind of wrote themselves in a corner. When they initially wrote the plot that Superman would give up his powers, and then they started talking about we're going to do these villains, they kind of got themselves in a corner. Does the story just end because Superman gave up his powers? Or do we change and do we give him a way out? So basically what the writers did is they changed the rules. They changed the rules mid-movie so that Superman could get his powers back. Doesn't that sound like God's grace? How he changes the rules mid-life for us so that we can get our powers back? That's the gospel. That's exactly what we see in the gospel, and it's right here that we see in chapter 15. The father changes the rule in the middle of the story. 
in order to get his, to get his son off the hook, he had to change his story. In order for his son to be able to come home and to be a son again, the father had to change the story. And that's what grace is. It's our heavenly father rewrites our story in order to give us another chance. Each one of us have been given another chance. And in some cases, more than one. But it's interesting, the Bible tells us in Romans 3, verses 19 through 23, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and of the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Grace is God making a way for us to get off the hook. Grace is God making a way for all of us to get off the hook. And today I want to share a few qualities of our Heavenly Father that I think will set the tone for the rest of this series. Because there's qualities of our Heavenly Father that I think sometimes we just think are too good to be true. It's good for that person, but it's not good for me. And I think we kind of get caught up in that. And, you know, each of us know that feeling of being a leftover. Uh, when we've just gone too far and we think God's not going to take us back. We stop hearing God's voice because we've walked so far away. We, we've ran from God. Will he really forgive me? Will he really wipe away my past? God, I know what I did. Are you really going to do this for me? Well, that's what God's grace does for each one of us. And it's different for each of us. Will he really give me a fresh start and a new life? And is it really possible? There are people in this room right now that can tell you it is truly possible for God to give them a second chance. For God to show up in the middle of their life, in the middle of their struggles, everything they were going through, and God to get them off the hook. And God gave them another chance. God's grace showed up when they needed it the most. And there are other people inside the room who may look and say, well, I, I, I don't think God should have gave them grace. And unfortunately, there, there's times we do that. There are times we do that. Later in this series, we're going to talk about the thief on the cross. If anything, the thief on the cross did nothing but God grace. There are going to be people in heaven who, when you get there, you're going to look and be totally surprised that they got the grace of God. Really, God, you gave them grace? Yes, it's for everybody. It is for everybody. So in 2 Peter 3.9, it actually says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I think the first thing we see is that God is a patient father. God is a patient father. I wish I had his patience sometimes. I'm never going to pray for it, but I wish I had it. You know, his patience with us is because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Everyone means everyone. Everyone. And I'm sure each one of us has someone like, oh, I really hope they're not in heaven with me. 
You know, and it's unfortunate we chuckle about it, but each one of us knows someone. And then we all know people who we wish were going to be in heaven with us who won't because they'll never accept the grace of God. But God wants everyone. He wants everyone to come to repentance and that no one should perish. You know, those of us who are parents know how difficult it is as we wait on our kids to make the right decisions. Sometimes it seems forever for our kids to make the right decisions. Sometimes we think they're never going to make the right decisions. Man, they're 40 years old and they still ain't figured it out. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. But the same way our Heavenly Father is patient with us, we need to be patient with our own kids. We need to be patient with our own family members. You know, and it's the, you know, I, I, the father waited. The father and the prodigal son, he waited, he waited, he waited. He waited and waited some more for his son to come back. And what's interesting is I really don't think he didn't know what was going on. I think he had a full understanding of what his son was doing. And, and you kind of see that because the older son, when he came near the house, and he asked what was going on. Why was there music? Why was there all of this? And basically they told him, hey, because you, your younger son, your brother came home. The oldest brother said, this son of yours, of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. So you think if the younger son knew what was going on, the father knew what was going on also. But he was still patiently waiting for his son to come back home. And it's very likely that there was all this stuff, there were all these rumors, all these bad reports that the father was hearing. And what is interesting, we know that he waited. We know that he was patiently waiting for his son to come back home. But I want you to notice something he didn't do. Something he did not do. He loved his son enough not to bail him out. He loved his son enough not to bail him out. He loved his son enough not to interrupt the downward spiral that his son was experiencing. And I'm sure as a father, because I would have done the same thing if this was my son and I heard this was going on, I would have went looking for him. I would have went looking for him to pick him up away from the pigs, get him away from the swine, and bring him back home. But how many times do we actually hurt our kids by doing that? There's times we need them to go through that valley so they can get back to that mountaintop. And that's exactly what this father did. He loved him enough to patiently wait for him to come back home. He didn't go to rescue him. And you know, it's interesting. He didn't go and say, hey, I know I already gave you some of in your inheritance, but here's some more. He just patiently waited. He loved him enough to wait. And that's what Jesus describes the father watching and waiting as. He is a patient father. And you can almost imagine this father walking to the edge of the town each week looking out. Is today going to be the day? Is today going to be the day that when my wayward son comes home, I know things aren't going right in his life. Is today going to be the day? And he kept walking day after day after day looking for his son. Praying that today's going to be the day. Today's going to be the day I'm going to see my son. Today, maybe it'll be the day that he comes to his senses and he comes home. Praying this day in and day out. Knowing that one day in the Father's house is better than a good day anywhere else. The psalmist in Psalm 84.10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So this Father walks to the edge of the town each day. 
He's walking, he's wondering, is today going to be today? Is it going to be today? Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be the next? When is he coming home? It's the love of a patient father waiting, waiting for their wayward son to come home. And you know what's amazing is that there's someone here right now. There's someone here right now and God's looking and wondering if today's going to be your day. Is today going to be the day that you turn back and come back to him? Now, even as Christ followers, a lot of people, I'm a Christ follower, but we play Christian instead of living a Christian life. Is today the day you're going to come back and truly do what God calls you to do? Are you really going to be the person that God's called you to do? As you've been going through life playing Christian, wearing that Christian mask, are you going to take it off and come back to him today? Is today going to be the day that you come back to your senses? Maybe you're in church today to hear this message. Maybe not. Maybe it's for someone else. Or maybe it's for you to kind of relate to your own kids. Because some of you are going through the same thing, the prodigal, that this father's going through. Praying for your kids each day. Standing there looking, will today be the day they turn around and come to their senses? Will today be the day that they come back? And we're patiently waiting. And sometimes we're not patiently waiting. We kind of edge it along a little bit. So maybe through this, we can learn to be a little more patient, just like our Heavenly Father was patient with us. You know, our Father in Heaven's waiting patiently for us today. And maybe today is a day. Maybe today is a day. You know, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul actually said he experienced the patience of God firsthand. If you think about it, you see, Paul described himself as the worst of all sinners. And it wasn't that he was going out partying. It wasn't that he was drinking. It wasn't that he was cussing or anything like this. He was literally persecuting Christians. And he thought he was doing it for the right reason. He literally was persecuting Christians because he thought that they were a cult. He thought they were um, disgracing God. And he said, you're worshiping a false God. And he had to kill them. And he thought he was honoring God through his whole presence until Jesus showed up on the Damascus Highway. And when Jesus showed up, Paul changed. And he actually wrote this in 1 Timothy 1.16, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. And here we are over 2,000 years later. If God waited on Paul... How long will he wait for you? How long will he wait for your children? Because he's a patient father. I think the other thing we see is that he's a forgiving father. Something else I think we can all learn. And as you read through this story, the father's love for his son, you know, what, what do we really see? We see the love of that father. What do we see in the son? We saw that he sinned against his father. He brings shame on his father's name. He disgraces the lifestyle of his, with the lifestyle he lived, disgraces the name of the father. He totally abuses the father's name and didn't do a single thing right. Totally abused his father's name. Totally went through the inheritance. And Ephesians 1, 7, 8, it tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, 
Now imagine the father. This father lived his lifetime with integrity, saving up money so that he could provide a great inheritance to his kids. He worked hard every day to do what was right by his own children. And his son had no respect for him. His son had zero respect whatsoever. First off, asking for the inheritance before the father was dead. That's lack of respect, number one. He didn't have any respect on the inheritance. He went out and he blew it. He blew the money he spent it until he had nothing left. But it's interesting, verse 17 tells us, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. At some point, everyone in this room came to your senses and turned towards our Heavenly Father. And that's what we see here. After living the lifestyle that this young man was living, he came to his senses and he had to turn and go back to his father. And he came, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I think it's interesting what the father did. The father really didn't give him a chance to kind of finish. Immediately the father said, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here, kill it, and let's eat and be merry. The father covered him up with his best robe. Get me the best robe, put it on. He basically took it and covered his shame. He covered his sin. He covered the guilt. And now when you looked at the son, all you could see was the robe. All you could see was that father's glorious robe, the best robe. And here he stood in his father's righteousness. Totally forgiven. And that's exactly what God does for us. That's exactly what God did through us through Jesus Christ. Think about it. God came to earth, incarnate as Jesus Christ, took our sins to the cross, died and rose again for us so that we could be covered with his righteousness. So when you think about a heavenly father and how he forgives us, we know what it took for him to forgive us. We know what it took God, the price that it took God to forgive us of our sins. He's a forgiving father. As a matter of fact, God actually describes himself this way in Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Wait a minute, what? And remembers your sins no more. This is God. God, the creator of the universe, knows everything, chooses to blot out and not remember your sins. Imagine if we could do that. Imagine if we could blot out and not remember our sins no more. Where we wouldn't beat ourselves up. Where we wouldn't feel like an outcast or a leftover. Well, what about how we hold other people's sins against them even though they've repented and asked for forgiveness? Oh, I remember when you did this. I remember when you did this. Let me tell you, I remember my sins very well. But my sins remind me not to go back where I was. They remind me not to go backwards. They remind me who I am in Jesus Christ and to continue to go forward. And whenever someone reminds me of my sins, I kind of laugh. I'm like, hey, them are forgiven. God don't remember them. Glad you do. I guess you're better than God. 
Because we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, just as the son was clothed with the righteousness of his father's robe. And every sin that we confess, as the psalmist says in Psalm 103, 12, is as far as the east is from the west. When you go east, when do you hit west? Never. Never. That's how far they are, as far as the east is from the west. You keep going east, you're always going east. You're never going to hit west. That's how far our sins are cast from us. And I think we miss that point because we hold on to him so much. We hold on to it so much that we become that outcast or that leftover. And we ask, how can God give us this? How can he love us? How can he give us forgiveness? How can he give us grace? Because all of us at some point have been a leftover. We know God's a good father. He's a father who's waiting and watching today, hoping that today is the day that we all come home to him. He's patiently waiting to forgive us. All we have to do is ask. And that's the big point. All we got to do is ask for that forgiveness. It's there waiting for us. The third thing I think we notice is in verse 20. It says, while he was still long away off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So we see that God is a compassionate father. He is compassionate. And at the risk of exposing himself in his robe, it did not matter to him, or shaming himself, this patient father got up and ran. He ran to his son, he ran across the field, and he embraced his outcast to society. His low-life son hugged him and gave him a kiss. He didn't care what others thought. He didn't care what others thought about him running across the field. He sprinted to his son. He had compassion for him. Jesus does that for each one of us. He has compassion for us and is willing to show that love and that grace and that forgiveness for us. But we have to be willing to give it up to him. You know, and I really never understood what it was like to be a father or understand the love and grace of God until I became a father myself. Because after I had kids, whew, had three daughters and a son, my poor son. <laughs> Dalton, do no wrong. But you really start to learn what forgiveness is about. You start to learn what that compassion's about. And I think sometimes in life we forget it. And each one of us at some point has given that forgiveness or that compassion and that love and grace to our own kids. But each one of us probably has a kid in our life or a grandchild that doesn't know Jesus. And maybe you try and have them conversations and instead of being this patient father or being this patient parent, you don't show that patience and you make them go farther and farther from God. Maybe you're not that compassionate parent and you make them go a little farther and farther from God. Sometimes we just got to be patient and wait. We just got to be patient. We need to wait on them and wait for the Holy Spirit to do the job. And in the meantime, show that compassion to them. Show that forgiveness to them and show love to them. And patiently wait for them to come home. 
And as hard as it is for us to patiently wait for them to come home, we need to be like our Heavenly Father. We need to show that patience, we need to show love, and we need to show compassion. Because in some cases, we've pushed our kids so far away from God, that it's going to take a long time, it's going to take a lot of patience to get them to come back. But we need to be obedient to what God calls us to do. We need to be obedient and look at what our Heavenly Father has done for us. And today, as we, go, as we close in prayer, you know, God wants you to know that he loves you. He's an intimate father who is patient and is forgiving. You know, maybe today is the day that you come back and you come into God's arms and accept him the way he accepts you. And maybe it's not a matter of you, you've, haven't accepted him, maybe you've just walked away for a while. Maybe you just feel a little distant. Maybe you're feeling that, God, there's no way you can use me. There's no way you can use me, God. I'm a leftover. I'm an outcast. I'm a misfit. Well, you know, today God's calling you to come home. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, today is a perfect day to do it. There's no better time than the present. He's been patiently waiting for you. And if you think you're going to get it all together before then, you're sadly mistaken. Because as it said, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the prerequisite. The work comes after that. The work is what we do every day in our lives as we go forward and we walk with the Lord each and every day. Showing the same qualities that he shows us. Being patient, being forgiving, and being compassionate. Some of us forgot that. Some of us aren't forgiving at all. Definitely not compassionate. And some of us aren't patient. And you know, maybe that's you sitting here today and you need to come up here and, you know, Lord, I haven't been patient. Teach me to be like you. Teach me to have compassion that you have for my children, for my kids and my grandkids. Teach me to have compassion for, for my fellow man, that I may love one another, that I may love as you love. I don't know what it is. Maybe you just need prayer, a lot going on in your life. Maybe this week you just crashed so hard that you need to come up and, Lord, I'm at rock bottom. I need to get back to the mountaintop because he is the same God in the valley that he is in the mountains. We just get to know him better in the valley. So I don't know what it is, but you do. So if you've never accepted Jesus, you can go ahead and come on up. I'll be off to the side. If you want to just come up and pray, come up and pray. Or you can pray right where you're at. And Heavenly Father, we come to you today to thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a loving Father. We thank you that you are patient, that you're forgiving, and that you're compassionate. 
And Lord, may we learn each of these attributes in our own life towards our own families and our own children. Because we know that you want everyone to come to repentance and to know you, just as we do, Lord. Lord, I ask that you be with this congregation now. And Lord, if someone is not feeling it, feeling your presence, that they will come up to this altar and leave it here and come into your presence, Lord. And if someone doesn't know you, Lord, that they will come forward and accept you today and make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.